Welcome to the Stroud Skin Institute podcast, and I'm your host, Cheryl Stroud. Today, my guest is Melinda McHenry. Melinda is an OG of aesthetics. For over 30 years, Melinda has been contributing to the education of estheticians. She is a licensed cosmetologist, esthetician, and instructor. She has been a product educator for nail lines, equipment lines, and skincare lines. She co-owned and was CEO of the Academy of Aesthetics Arts, a licensed accredited beauty college in Shawnee, Kansas. She has won awards for her contribution as a technical video creator with nine titles under her belt on chemical peels, body treatments, and ultrasound applications for aesthetic video source. These videos are also accompanied by books and you can find them all on Amazon. Melinda was a contributing author of the Esthetician's Guide to Outstanding Aesthetics put together by Shelley Hancock. Melinda is also known as the Aesthetic Professor and is a regular guest educator at our industry trade shows. And if this list wasn't exhaustive enough, Melinda has been a contributing author for the Miladies textbooks, Nail Technology, Fundamental Aesthetics, and Master Educator. Melinda currently owns Bronze and Beautiful Spa and the Academy of Advanced Aesthetics Arts, a postgraduate training center in Overland Park, Kansas. So without further ado, let's hear what the very entertaining Melinda McHenry has to teach us and share with us today. The questions that I had ready for you, those are all okay questions about They're great questions and I think I'm ready because I did, they're good questions. I had to put some thought into them. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see how I do with them. I'm going to try not to cheat and read too much from the notes because I tried to kind of, mem you know, really immerse myself in the question on how would I, I'll tell you, I had changed my answer four or five times on that first one. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah. And so, it's, it's, but it's a serious question that needs to be asked when you're getting ready to partner up with somebody. So it's a great question to start. I mean, whether we start with it, end with it, finish with it in the middle, whatever you want to do. I have always had a business partner in every venture I've done. And I, if I'm going to do, I mean, I don't think I could do, I don't think I would want to do a business without a business partner. And why is that? Because I know what my strengths are. And I know what my weaknesses are. And in having a business partner, it creates a balance um, versus, a, you know, this. If, if you're partnering with someone that's identical to you, you're going to be on the teeter side of the totter versus really deciding who you're going to go into business with and why. And, you know, I can tell you there's going to be you shouldn't base your criteria on your best friends because you won't be friends long. And you shouldn't base it on family. Holy crap, I've fired so much family. It ain't even funny. I fired my own son twice. My business partner fired her daughter-in-law. I fired my sister twice and hired her back once. I was like, I fired her a third time. I mean, it's just been so many, you know, family. It's not like our parents' parents' days right? where you grew it and it passed down from generation to generation. It's just not like that. So it would be lovely to think you can build a family legacy these days, but... It's not the value systems we work with anymore. Right. I um so. I always tease. I tell people when they're working for uh, friends and family as clients. I said always mm -hmm. do always charge them double. So that yeah. it, because it's always more problematic than it is helpful. Yeah, and I bet they go what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, so, I'm not gonna charge my mother more. Why? <laughs> so Seriously, why not? <laughs> charge my mother more. If I had a mother. I charge her plenty. <laughs> Because so, I know she'd nag me through the whole experience. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's the uh, pain in the tush factor. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to put it, too. I mean, I'm coming to see you, obviously, as you know, I'm coming around your way and back down. And I've already had, you know, my sister, you know, and brother and, and nieces and nephews. Are you bringing your hair cutting scissors? Yeah, no. <laughs> you guys have a daughter. I mean, my sister has a daughter who graduated beauty school. I'm like, Rachel's there. Let Rachel cut your hair. I'm like, I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> How long have they been waiting to have you come around to the East Coast? Five years. <laughs> so they have 
knows that haircut her. in five Who years? Who knows with my sister? She's funny. She's the least vain woman in the world. Yeah. <laughs> she has no idea what she looks like for people. I don't either most of the time. If there wasn't a mirror to startle me every morning, I swear to goodness, I would not know. Um, I did not go into the beauty industry because of vanity. I know a lot of people do. I can't believe how many interviews I would take with potential students and I just want to make sure I always look good and that's why they wanted to go to beauty school aesthetic school they just wanted to make sure they always stayed young looking and and they cared about their vanity I was like okay it's a different way of, of thinking about it but I never considered that when I went to beauty school it wasn't what I wanted why I went yeah so I just wanted to make people feel good about themselves and I just always had that humorous and the and the arrogance to think that I could make them look better than themselves because I'd be looking at them redoing their whole face and head. I'd be like, there's so many things wrong with you. This is one of those glamour magazines where you're like, what to wear? What not to wear? Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I always, that was my narrative in my head from five on. Like, I remember being in the first grade going, those shoes do not go with that dress. This was in my head. It's just the wrong way of being, you know. You can thank Big Witch for that, because that woman dressed fabulous. <laughs> she made pedal pushers look, you know, like Adorable. runway. Yeah. Couture. So, I just, yeah. So, I didn't go into beauty for the other reason, you know, other reason than just, I just thought I could make people look better about, and feel better about themselves. Yeah. So then, Melinda, if we can circle back to how does someone pick a business partner? You know, that's a good question. And one of the things I think that's really important is you've got to look at your value systems. And the first thing you need to do is to look at how that person actually lives their life. So if you've got this great idea and enthusiasm, and I see it a lot with young girls getting into the beauty industry. They're going to booth rent. They're going to share the space. They're going to do all these things. Well, how does your classmate behave in school? Um, how does she keep her car? How clean and tidy is she in her home? Does she show up on time? Is she always disheveled? Does she have an excuse why she's running late all the time? You really have to look at the the full behavioral style of the person you're deciding you're going to get in bed with. Now, I was really fortunate when I met my first my business partner here in Kansas City, Kathy Berrien. I met her when I was working for Adrian Arpel. And we were at this holiday party, and she worked for the Jones stores, and I worked for the Dillard stores, but the corporation came and had this big Christmas party for this local community. And I looked down at the end of the table up to the account executive, and there was this gorgeous blonde with hair down to her butt, tiny petite thing, like a cross between Barbara Eden and 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 Kim Basinger. I mean, just breathtaking. And nobody was talking to her. And so I asked my, my uh, account person, I said, who said gorgeous blonde at the end of the table not that I you know into girls or anything but she said well that's Kathy Berry and she's like at that time she was the diamond like the number one counter in the country I was like oh I gotta go know her so I just hustled down there I just I mean she had a reputation that preceded her and nobody I so I told the girl next to her I said go to my chair I'm gonna sit here I, I said I said you and I are gonna be best friends before this night's out and she was like what she just thought I was insane. And uh, and then I got promoted, and I was actually supposed to be her boss, which she's 11 years my senior, even though we graduated at the same time. So we didn't come into this as friends. We were colleagues. And um, I remember I walked up to her. I said, you know, someday I'm going to own my own company, and I'm going to have my own spa, my own distribution. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go full hilt. And she goes, well, I'll come work for you. And I thought that was an odd thing to say. I said, no, you'll come and be an owner in it with me. I mean, you've got 10 years behind the chair already. What are you thinking? So no, you're going to be an owner. I think I drug her into it. I mean, I don't think, think she had to go back in retrospect and go, what was I thinking? <laughs> but God love her because she was everything that I wasn't in terms of her, her, um, like I'm an idea girl and I make messes for people. And, and, and unfortunately, Kathy, she cleans up a lot of messes, but She's also, she's steady, she's calm, um, she's conservative in her, her business values, she doesn't base any of her choices on emotion, and we worked together side by side for two years before we even socialized outside that work environment as full 50-50 business partners. But 
you know, I really watched her and her follow through was great. Her sales were great. She was immaculate in her appearance. She was immaculate in her behavior. She was open to ideas and suggestions. She contributed. She had amazing technical skills. I mean, she just really was the real deal. And I was like, oh, man, if I get this woman to be in business with me, I would just be so grateful. And I was. But I I looked for a business partner because you can't do everything by yourself. So you want to make sure that they're not just your best friend and you guys just love each other. and You want the same things. That's that's everybody wants the same things. Success. But you've got to have a game plan and a strategy and how that's going to be. To, to implement that. And a business partner is wonderful to have because they're there through the good times and the bad. If they, if you both have the same values and the same work ethic. Sounds like a marriage. It is, it is more than a marriage. And I will guarantee you that uh, at one point me and Kathy will probably be old and living together. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know about that, but I, cause I'm, I'm pretty happy in my relationship, but, but, I, I mean, we've made a promise to each other that if we ever find ourselves by ourselves, you know, and if anything ever happened to her, she'd be moving in with me. I can guarantee you that. So like, like but, the Golden Girls. Yeah, a lot like Golden Girls. But, you know, I can't tell you it's been always a bed of roses. There's been times we've had we've had real and like in any relationship we've had to sit down and, and face each other squarely and say, these are the things I need from you to continue in this relationship. And we do it by removing the emotion from it. So the thing, when you go into these partnerships, you have to define it. You've got to really define what your duties and your strengths are, what your one-year, three-year, five-year plan is. You have to be open to changing and evolving that. And one of the things we had written into our agreement was to be kind to one another. And then if either partner was vehemently, not adamantly, but vehemently opposed to a decision, we would defer, we would defer to the person who was vehemently deposed, mm-hmm. uh, opposed rather, because you can't move forward if only one person's on board. Right. So how do you keep the emotion out of things? That was a good statement. How do you, how do women, because women aren't good at that. So how did you do that? Well, you know, you're really right about that. You know, it's funny you should say that because there was a brief period of my time in my 30s where my thyroid went out, so it made me even more insane. And I would walk into the office and I would just feel my staff. They would all be like catches, cats with their back arched, ready to pounce on me because I was so, I didn't, I was so ill. I didn't know how ill I was and I was avoiding any responsibilities at that time. And, um, one day I just had a complete utter meltdown and called Kathy and said, you know, if you don't come over here and, 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 and rescue me, I swear I'm going to kill everybody and take myself with me. Well, she dropped everything and ran over there and we got to a doctor and it turned out I had the worst thyroid levels that my endocrinologist had ever seen. And I was being emotionally and hormonally driven. Now I do know this to be true for postpartum women. I know this to be true for women in their nesting phases and in their forties and pre and post menopause. So women don't have a good kind of, we're stuck with this emotionally driven type of thing. And by nature we're nurturers and we like to fix everything. So I learned to count to 10 really quickly. Um, I also, I'm not going to lie, I had the added benefit or deficit of being raised by a man. And so when you're being raised by a man, there's he, they don't tolerate that kind of emotional outburst. You'll get a beyond timeout. You'll get a snap out of it, you know, and count to 10 and think about it and then come back. So I was taught at a very young age to go change my mind. My father didn't like my response. It was go in your room, change your mind when you can come talk to me without the hysterics, then we'll get something accomplished. So Kathy was ever so calm as a, as a business partner and supportive. And, but there were times when I could see that she was really emotionally drained as well. So we would just say, okay, look, let's just do this. Let's take a five minute, 10 minute, or let's just go home and sleep on whatever it is that's bothering us and put your thoughts down, pen to paper, write out what's really bothering you, read it back to yourself two, three times till you can write it out without the emotion and then let's sit down and have a face to face. So you've got to condition yourselves to do that. I had to learn to become not hormonally and emotionally driven, but as a redhead, I want to throw a dish once in a while, you know, 
there's that. Stop giving us redheads bad name. <laughs> Listen, that's the best part. <laughs> I remember one time I had a guy actually tell me, he said, I can't go out with you. I said, why? He goes, because my father told me redheads are nothing but trouble. And I was like, yeah, that's why he told you that. <laughs> Not buying it. Yeah. Well, it could be good. <laughs> he had him scared of us. <laughs> yeah. It, it's usually good trouble, but um, regardless. I think it used to be redheads have more fun. <laughs> I think it's blondes. <laughs> oh, is it blondes have more fun? Yeah. I never really thought that. <laughs> I don't know. I was a blonde for a while, too. I think I've been decided every color there was. That's the beauty of being in the beauty industry. Yeah. Don't like your hair color, you can change it. <laughs> That's true. So, with the... With all that, with Kathy and keeping things together, how did how did you guys just keep it a healthy, productive relationship for business in general? Hunger, <laughs> necessity, bills. Um, well, you know, I have to say this. You know, I was fortunate, and I think that for most business owners that get involved, that get start, I think when you start jumping into entrepreneurship, I was in my early thirties when I really jumped into it. And you know, that level of energy and quick wittedness that you have and ambition and dreams and push is so palpable in your late mid twenties to your late forties. Right. And it's when you have the energy, the effort and the, the time to just push through your dreams and um, and it's also a difficult time at that age because you are younger to earn your wealth. When you get older, you figure out really quickly if you've earned and lost money that it's there's ways to earn money pretty quickly if you have to, right? But it takes all those experiences to get to there. So a lot of my my long-term growth and success with our businesses was because we were both at this place in our lives where we had the drive to dedicate to it. And I think it's just innate. I think, um, and we see it in our beauty school um, graduates, don't we? We see that that passion and that fire and that desire and that hunger. That's so awesome. I just loved, I love teaching adults, young adults um, in particular at any age, actually, because they're, they, they, that's when they have that pit in their stomach that they're going to go for it. You know, they're fearless. And, you know, you don't get jaded until you're like later in your career. And I, I go to a lot of trade shows. I don't know if you get to go to a lot of trade shows. Yeah. Yeah. But have you ever gone to those trade shows where you hear these women, like you're in a class and you're, and you see the person in the audience just rolling their eyes. Like, <sighs> they're going to talk about vitamin C again. And you're like, look, this isn't your mother's vitamin C. Vitamin C has evolved. If you can't be open to the evolution of cosmetic chemistry, then get out of the field and make room for these young, ambitious, beautiful women and men who got the drive to be open to possibilities. When you are no longer open to possibilities, you need to step out of the way and let the young ones come in and take over. Yeah. And I, I feel very, very, very blessed that I'm not there yet. I'm sure my bitter days are coming. <laughs> COVID has almost created them for me, but I'm being positive about that as well, yeah. as much as I can. <laughs> so you took a chance on yourself and did something, um, I guess, bold, was buy a distributorship. Can you describe what a distributorship is and then what that looked like yeah, as the that, chance that, that you took? Yeah, that might be a... a, a, a an interesting term coming down the road here for years because it, it, it may be something you never hear about again, but when I was getting into aesthetics, I was booth renting and I was using Glymed and I was taking classes from Christine Heathman, who, if anybody knows who she is, she wrote the paramedical camouflage book. She really was a pioneer in evolving um, aesthetics along with, you know, Mark Lees, Jan Marini, so many other pioneers in our industry. Um, and I was buying Glymed at the time, and the guy that I was buying it from, the, who had a little distribution up in Leavenworth, Kansas, he couldn't keep up with my orders. So finally one day I just called him and I said, listen, dude, if you can't keep up with me, I'm going to call the company myself and just buy directly from them. So he says, listen, I'd like to meet you for lunch. 
and he was in the army and he was a licensed massage therapist and he came over and he just basically said this i've been stationed in germany and so i've been just like letting my distribution kind of slide he goes but i have a contract and what would you think about coming on and being a partner and i'll just let you buy in at you know the 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 warehouse value of the inventory and then I'll put you on the contract with me and I'll let Christine Heathman know and there's a trade show in June and you can go and introduce yourself. And I said, well, I've already met Christine a couple of times because I'd taken classes from her. And so I thought about it and thought about it. And I just thought, you know, I had really believed in that line. I got such great results with it. I'd been working in a plastic surgeon's office prior to that. And I was like, I can do this. And I was the only game in town using it. There's maybe three other people. I thought this is just this is something I really love to do is to to sell, to believe in a product and share it. So I went to my dad and I said, listen, I got this opportunity. And he just said, go for it. And I said, it's five grand. Like that was so much money. And I only had an American Express card. You know how they are? Yep. You have to pay them off every month. There's no revolving American Express card. So he told me, he said, listen, just put it on there. And he said, if you can't make them make all of it. So what you can, if you can't make all of it, he goes, I'll, I'll pick up the rest and we'll get it worked out. Because my dad really believed in me and said, go for it. Well, I should have believed in myself as strong as he did. I, I did exactly that. And the next thing I knew, um, I had that inventory sold in 10 days. And it just grew from there. And I was a distributor for... Um, Glymed until she decided that she no longer needed a distributor. So this is a challenge with manufacturers today and why you see a lot of manufacturers directly selling direct to the, either the public or to, to the professional without the distributors anymore. They let the distributors do all the heavy lifting. And then once that heavy lifting has been done, then they say sayonara sucker. And then you're out 60, 70,000 a month in income. And I just kept, you know, distributing, I was a distributor. So I, you find other lines, you find other lines and, and multiple lines by going to trade shows. And at that time, you know, distributors were really um, a thing that really was. You go in and negotiate your opening order. Um, most companies wanted 25000 in inventory to begin with, and you'd negotiate it, and you, you use, but you've got to find something you believe in and love. Now, there's not so much for distributors but there is plenty of opportunities for representatives. And I represent, uh, I work with Neurotris micro toning systems and I get to sell for Tony and Patricia Hillebrand and eat and teach for them. Um, I work with Eric Stanton through, um, laser one aesthetics and I get to sell Vivace micro needling and radio frequency and get to teach for him. So those rep jobs come with the ability to get to teach. And so, you know, if you're in school thinking about what your alternatives are, you can make a lot of money being a uh, manufacturer's rep and educator. And they're fun, you know. When yeah. we're not locked down, we get to go to trade shows. We get to, to go into beauty schools and talk to potential, you know, graduates. Um, it can be a very lucrative career. Right. And it's also, you can do it um, even if you decided not as right out of school. Like if you just want to add something to your aesthetic practice, because um, you maybe only want to do your practice like two or three times a, w a week. Well, exactly. And when I went to school, you didn't have a choice. You had to be a hairdresser. So you had to be a hairdresser. Do we even say hairdresser anymore? We say stylist. Stylist, you know? yeah. Uh, <laughs> you had to be a cosmetology all. And I loved doing corrective hair color, and I loved makeup, and I loved skincare. Those were my passions. Um, but I loved skincare and makeup more. And so when I got out of school right away, my first job was with Paul Mitchell as a makeup artist at their trade shows with a beauty supply house. And then I started educating for Bricado International, and I eventually got to be a platform artist. And I got to work with Tressa uh, International and teach color and perms and chemistry. And I had a lucrative career in hair from 1986 till 19, really 96, when I blended it with my skincare. And then I just really found myself wanting to just do skincare. And so from 96 on, that's really all I've done is practice with aesthetics. So then how do you, um, you said to have a passion with the lines you represent, but then how do you know which ones you want to pick or get involved with? Like what are criteria do you have? Because so, I know today um, the modern version is starting to turn into affiliate programs. Yeah, I'll tell you my biggest 
criteria for working with any company is that they are a professional company in that they have made the decision to sell only to licensed professionals. I hear all this poppycock, and I shouldn't say it, but, you know, what's the difference between cosmetic and OGC, cosmeceutical, blah, blah, blah. Listen, there isn't. <laughs> there, um, over, there's a lot of over-the-counter products in our drugstores that work fan-flapping-tested. The difference is, is that they have formulated those products to be safe enough to cause no harm, no foul, do enough change to make people happy, but to also be able to affordably mass-produce it in the hundreds of thousands of pieces at a time. So when you buy a, a cleanser from Neutrogena, it's in 250,000 stores, the same cleanser. That's a huge market for them. Multi-level marketing, for example, there's a lot of great products. In fact, Avon is really responsible for discovering um, glycolic acid. They're the ones who discovered it with their, their Renew products. Uh, Estee Lauder, she was one of the very first companies to ever put hyaluronic acid in a product. That's an over-the-counter product. But I look for companies that look to do business with my industry. So I focus only on companies that do not sell directly to the public on their websites and only sell through licensed estheticians. If you sell your line online to if the, and there's been a lot of professional lines that have built their success off the backs of our industry that now sell directly to the public. And I will tell you this, I won't carry your line. Why should I build, do your line for you to take my clients? And there's a million of them out there. And I don't have to name names because they all know who they are. But if, for me, if you don't sell directly and work specifically with my license industry and not directly to retail to the public, um, that's the companies I choose to do business with. So I'll explore those products first. And then you find those mostly at trade shows. I find them at trade shows, trade journals, surfing the Internet, listening to the girls in the groups. Now, I see a huge group of girls now that are, uh, or I shouldn't say girls, but women that are um, really doing a lot of MLM. And they're being very successful with it. And kudos to them. I mean, I just... I never wanted to do, I, I'm like, look, if I can buy it out of my, if I can buy it out of the trunk of your car and anybody can buy it, I don't want to deal with it. It's not a product for me, but if it makes them a living, I've, I've had a graduate um, who has built her entire salon and spa and her entire career on being a Mary Kay distributor. She uses it on her back bar. She sells it in her retail. She has been a Mary Kay lover since she was a young girl. And she, I don't know, she might even have the pink Cadillac for all I know. She does really, really well with it. And so who am I to judge her? You know, I worked in retail for Adrian Arpel, but that's because she only hired licensed cosmetologists and estheticians. Um, but again, it was still over the counter. And even though she had facial rooms, I would have to take my ladies out of the facial room and put them in front of the cosmetic counter to do their makeup. So I just work with companies that respect my licensure. And that's what I look for. Yeah. And so then from from that um, uh, segue, you opened up a college. How did that happen? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting story. Yeah. Well, when I opened my little distributorship, um, I joined my business partner, Kathy, and I started this little company called Elite Aesthetics. And so when... She and I got together. We had a little skincare clinic, and then we had the distribution side. And then in the middle of it, we had this little training room that we called the Skin Science Institute. And what we did was we offered postgraduate education to um, on all of the brands that we carried. So at that time, we carried Glymed. We carried BioJavance. We had um, um, Epilis Waxing Systems. I worked with Equipro. I was the main distributor for um, sound skin, smart peels, and smart sound systems. Um, and I had classes on, on Sundays and Mondays. And over a period of six, seven years, the students that were coming in, um, maybe a year or two, three years out into the field, they didn't even understand basic tanning mechanisms, and they were wanting to do chemical peels. It, I don't want to say they were just getting dumber, um, because I don't think that that's a fair statement, but... They, they were just equipped with a license to learn. They had beauty school basics down, but they did not have anything past that. And I had this growing um, dissension within my postgraduate trainer or class attendees because half the girls would be way advanced 
and they would have to listen to all these stupid basic questions that they thought were stupid and basic. But there's no such thing as a stupid question. Um, I mean, there's an annoying question or there's a I can't believe you don't know that question. But people ask questions because they need more information. And some people already had that information. And so it was just really starting to get this this twist of I couldn't get a class that was all on the same level. So we started teaching a basic class, you know, an introduction to, um, you know, beauty school basics. We just started teaching skin. We had a whole class just dedicated to skin and it was becoming my most popular class. So I decided I would go and renew my instructor license, which I had held for a few years in Montana. When I moved back to Kansas City, I, um, I decided to let it lapse. I went back to school at JCC, uh, Johnson County Community College, got 600 more hours and taught at their vocational college at a community college. And I, I witnessed what was happening with our schools. We will give them, every time I tried to teach my girls anything remotely advanced, like a Brazilian wax, I got shut down. No, they'll learn that in the field. I'm like, they won't get in the field if they don't know it. I mean, this is a job-ready entry-level requirement now. I mean, not when I was in school, but at that time in the in the early 2000s, if you didn't know how to do microdermabrasion, chemical peels, and Brazilian waxes, you weren't getting a job. Right. And they didn't want me teaching them. So I said, forget it. I'll just go to my own darn school. Like, that's, again, arrogance, hubris, just, like, I don't know how I'll do it, but I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> and I also saw them turning away student after student after student. I mean, they had girls on wait lists for three years. So I knew the demand was there. So when I talked to Kathy about it originally, she didn't want to get involved. She was like, nope, I'm going to take the skincare clinic. You take the distribution in the school and go on your merry way. We were going to part ways. And then when she saw me interviewing potential students coming in and she saw the, you know, I negotiated a place, I had laid out the floor plans and, and then she started watching and she was like, you know, maybe this will be a lot more fun than I thought. And I said, well, we haven't severed the company yet. So if you're in, you, this is what you would, you know, I would need from you. So she jumped in, got her instructor's license under me and we built the beauty school we wished we could have went to. Yeah. That's what happened. And so it was, um, it had 10 facial rooms, two wax rooms, a spray tan studio, makeup studio. It had a, a student, two large classrooms. It had a wet room with hydrotherapy tub and Vichy shower. Uh, it had a student clinic separate from the, the public clinic, which allowed the students to work on each other without being taking up a room from the public. So we just ran the school the way we wish we would have been taught. So we staggered it with lecture, demonstrations, hands-on, morning and afternoon and night. And that's how we did it. And um, everybody had their role. We, we, I was really a, a, one of the primary um, basics teacher, if you will. So I got those ugly chapters out of the way that nobody wanted to teach. Like Anatomy, business. physiology. Yeah, anatomy, physiology, chemistry, um, all the stuff they hated, equipment, electrology, all that, all electricity, all of that stuff they hated. That's the stuff I loved, you know. Yeah. Kathy was so, is, is such a master with her hands. Um, she, and she just made everything beautiful. So just her touch is better than mine. I'm not going to lie. She, in many, many ways, is a much better esthetician than I am. I'm, probably more book smart in that way, but I wouldn't even say that anymore. I would just say she had her strengths and I had mine and, and we had a great teaching staff and yeah. it, it was, it was a pretty amazing 10 years. And so um, did you close the school after 10 years or what happened? What happened? We did, you know, there was a lot of litigious bureaucracy that came about in 2008, 2009. We had a couple of really cool things happen in Kansas. One, the hours went from 650 hours to a thousand clock hours, which was, really cool because it allowed us to get to teach them so much more. But, um, and we had just gotten accredited through the Council on Occupational Education, but then um, the Department of Ed stepped in and at that time during that administration, there was a lot of, every school has to be accredited, uh, even daycares, you know, there was a lot of nationalization of the schools, if you will. And 
a lot of redefining of the rules. Like you used to be able to have a dual role in the school. You could be a school owner and recruit. And when you took, you know, five duties and that two people were handling, and then the, the bureaucracy of it comes along and says, no, you have to have five people to do it now. And you can't do this too if you do this. So that meant hiring more teachers, that meant hiring more administrators, and the cost of that was very punitive. Now, we were getting through that, but then we had a shift in um, – my biggest mistake, anybody listening out there going to buy, going to open a beauty college, buy the building. Whatever you do, own your building. Because I was, we were faced with um, a dilemma where our landlord really wanted, did not want to renew the 10-year lease after it was up. So we had 10 years. And um, every year they do this big fat audit for your accreditation. And they wanted a copy of the signed lease. And God love my landlord. But he's like, I need my property back. I need the the, the 8,000 square feet back. And so... You've got to give government agencies 12 months notice to move or you go on what they call probation and you're not allowed to disperse funds. So imagine if you have 77 students enrolled and they're counting on their financial aid coming in and you decide to relocate your building for your business and where they go to finish out their education, they're not going to get any of their funding for that. How long do you think you'll be open? So um, we looked at all kinds of different avenues. We we actually tried to get involved with a with a court issue to try to get him to give us 12 months to relocate, and you know it just wasn't going to be cost efficient to reopen somewhere else, not on one program. We only taught aesthetics, right. and and it was funny because shortly after that, I saw giants in our industry closing their doors, Marinello's. Um, cameos there was a ton of schools that had to close their doors so I didn't feel so bad afterwards (laughs) I was like okay it wasn't just me you know that had to you know redefine themselves so it was it was bittersweet but it was also super um I don't feel like any of it was a failure because we graduated so many estheticians who are still in the field and that was six years ago I would say 85 percent of our graduates are flourishing and it was almost 800 girls, so I feel like I have a legacy that I left behind with Kathy. I feel like we really built something awesome. So I don't feel bad about it. I mean, I lamented about it for a while, believe me, because that's a big dream to have to let go. Because I had fantasies of ooh, franchising or opening up over here and opening up over there. You know, you have all these big dreamy plans when you're a school owner and then the business of running the school gets in the way. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's a lot of work. So to all our school owners out there, I love you so much. <laughs> but your success story ha- didn't end. You opened yet another business. What was that business? <clears throat> you know, that's funny. I actually opened up a spray can day spa while I had the school. Now, um, I was dating a hottie rock star, and he was in construction. Now he's my main guy. And um, at the time, he came to me, he says, look, I got all this money, and I want out of the construction industry, and I've always dreamed of owning a tanning salon. And, of course, you don't say the word tanning beds to an esthetician. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can't be with someone who would endorse a tanning bed. He's like, no, 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 spray tanning, because at that time, I was doing a lot of spray tanning with Terry Hunter out of Las Vegas. We, He had come with me to the international um, Hooters swimsuit pageant, and I got to spray tan all the girls there. I did a lot of pageant work. And that was back in, you know, been spray tanning since 2002 before anybody really understood it. And so I I took a chance. He had a good business concept. And so we opened up a little day spa called Bronze Buff and Bear. And what we did is I, I don't know if you've ever heard of ionothermy. No. Now, ionothermy is this um, cellulite treatment, body reducing treatment that is really popular on the cruise lines. So if you go on the cruise lines, a lot of the spas will have an ionothermy, and they wrap you in this this thermal conducting um, clay, and they put electrodes on you, and they pump your muscles, and it causes you to sweat, and you will lose tons of inches. And so I had been the distributor for that and selling and, and repping it, and I was using it in my own spas, and they make big money. They're like 190 to $250 a treatment. Good money. And they work. That's the thing. They really bust up cellulite, and they work. It's out of France. And so um, we did waxing, head-to-toe waxing, ionothermies, and spray tans. 
And I used that facility to funnel my young graduates to a job as soon as they graduated. So if they were between, you know, 19 and, and 25, I would offer them a position, you know, nine bucks an hour plus whatever to come and to have a job at Bronze Buff and Bear. And then they could start applying for other jobs. I was having a real challenge in my school, and maybe you know this too now that you're teaching, but your younger graduates have a harder time finding a job. Yeah. They don't have an experience. That's what I have to have experience. And, you know, they get stuck in reception jobs forever. And, and two years into looking for work, they throw in the towel and they give it up. And here they've gone to school and, and, and they can't get work. So I would put these young girls in, in there. And I tell you, within six weeks, because they were throwing resumes out and they were already employed, they were getting jobs. So my motivation was to increase my job placement, my, my placement yep. for my, my iPads. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's your reporting your educational data for the government on, they want to know your graduation rate, your drop rate and your placement rate. And so that was what I was doing it for. I was doing it for a selfish motive for my school and he was getting into the beauty industry and having a great time. And from there that evolved into our spray tan extraction business, which we have together now. So it was really a blessing from, from, heaven it was manna from heaven when we closed the school um kathy and i immediately went over there and we changed the name from bronze buff and bear to bronzed and beautiful and expanded the services and and so i never i never skipped a beat it's just staying in business so and then my um husband george has been um really working on these spray tan extraction fans for spray tan artists and um you know they're very powerful they're antimicrobial with filtration they um, they're portable, they're lightweight, they can be customized. Um, they're the most powerful systems out there and they stop the overspray and the breathing of, of the particulates that these technicians and clients have to be exposed to when they're getting spray tans and powders. So, you know, we did that business together as well. But now I'm just partners with George. I, I'm, Kathy works with me, for me, but she's no longer my business partner. And then, um, that's still not the end of your story. Oh, right. You not only are doing that, but you created yourself one more time. Right. Uh, and you do speaking and a bunch of other things. Tell us about that. Well, you know, it's funny when you when I had the distribution center, I got the opportunity with many manufacturers to educate with them and for them. Um, you know, I got to speak with Image when I was with Jenna, um, I guess Ronard at the time. Um, I got to speak with Lyra and educate at trade shows there and with SoundSkin in particular. Um, I was pretty much their front educator at any of the trade shows, including the medical shows. So I would be having classrooms. And from there, I would just submit to call to speakers because I enjoy speaking. I enjoy getting up and and teaching and sharing, and, and I'm passionate about the industry. So especially for the Ed Cosmetology Educators Association, American Association of Cosmetology Schools, and and I would submit topics and ask them, what do you think your, your audience wants to hear? I would love to do it. Um, also at the Southern Salon Spa Conference, I get to um, teach there every year. I get, and, and I've been asked back again this year. I did three classes last year and I've been asked back again this year to do three more classes, three new classes. Speaking at Face and Body in December, yay, they're actually going to have their event in San Jose. Go figure. I hope they'll get to. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but I enjoy speaking and teaching and sharing. I enjoy writing. So I have submitted a lot of articles over the years. Um, Day Spa Magazine used to call me for to be one of their experts um i've submitted i mean i've been in skin ink and, and other magazines and i was approached um well shelly hancock uh, had a call for an author contributing author and i sent her my resume and she got a hold of me she says i would love for you to tell your story um for her book that came out two years ago called the esthetician's guide to outstanding aesthetics now that was a book about everybody's journey and then her second one is more on the technical side um, and really that's a pay-to-play book I'm not gonna lie I paid a great deal of money to be in that book um, but once you're published it makes all the difference in the world whether you self-published or you published 
um, by payment. And so um, from there, Milady had approached me um, back in the late 90s, and I didn't feel confident enough to write a textbook chapter then, but they had since approached me again through a colleague at Lyra Clinical. I wrote one chapter for them in their nail technology book, and then they and it, I was so lucky because guess what chapter it is? I don't know. I couldn't guess. It's the skin chapter <laughs> and nails. <laughs> and, yeah, and you know what's funny is I've always hated the way the skin chapter reads in all of our books. First off, they teach it from the inside out. Like I don't look at skin from the inside out. I would like. I, I said, can I rewrite this chapter the way I want to? They were so amazing. They gave me such creative license. I said, I. I want to teach this chapter from your visual perspective, and then I want you to think about what's going on below it. And so I really shifted away from the old way of teaching skin so that you're not thinking about everything from the inside out, that you're thinking about it from what we're allowed to do, which is as estheticians, our scope of practice is to improve the stratum corneum and a story. And how do we do that safely without breaking the skin or drawing blood or, or in in causing client harm. So I taught it from that perspective and um, they were really happy with it, which made me happy. Um, and then they, they threw another chapter. I mean, another chapter. And now I'm doing two more chapters for the uh, master um, instructor book, um, strategic students, student success strategies and classroom management. Um, so hopefully they'll like what I have for that too. So that comes out in January, 2021. Um, and Milady is a wonderful company to work for. And yeah. so I think if, if you have something you want to share with somebody, get your, just put yourself out there and do it, you know, cause what's the worst you're going to say? No. And I also started my own website, which is currently under reconstruction. I've had to reconstruct it twice. Now, the biggest challenge with the aesthetic professor.com originally was, um, once I got everything in it, I wanted my, my, place that I was hosting it couldn't handle the volume <laughs> so I had to switch to a new uh, I have to I'm on a new server type server but it's all cloud-based now and because it's online education and interactive very interactive it it requires a great deal of technical work and so I have a new designer that's working on it now and I've had to reinvent that two or three times because while COVID's been down, what's the biggest thing girls are wanting is online education. Right. And so you know how boring it is to do online education? I mean, have you, I mean, have you taken classes online? Yes, I have. Do you uh, want to kill yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the answer would be yes, because uh, they're all the same, but I tend to speed through them to, to extract the things I haven't heard before. And a lot of times I take the test without reading most of it. And a lot of times you pass that test right away. Yes. But then you don't know if you've missed some gems or something when we do that. And so I have to tell you, um, I do a lot of online education for myself. But it's like I find myself within 30 to 45 seconds sometimes glazing over. Now I understand ADD and how it works. I really do because I never used to, I could sit and read books for hours. But this is not like reading books. And um, so the education that's online, I vowed that whatever I share or teach has to be engaging and it has to be entertaining and it has to be, um, something that they'll walk away from. And so I'm doing micro classes, what I'm calling micro mini classes. So each one that you do with me is 10 minutes or under on, and you'll have 10 minutes and five questions. That's it. And for each subject matter. So you can click through your things really quickly. The other thing too, is I'm doing a lot of more live stream classes. I don't plan to give up sharing. Um, and so the live stream that we had talked about earlier is really the avenue that I want to go through. And, and I really have a very focused demographic that I'm looking at. Um, which is different than what a lot of the online education is going out there. Everybody's getting in on it, um, and that's all great and wonderful. I think the more people out there sharing good information, the better, because there's enough bad information just on YouTube or TikTok or yeah. Snapchat or there's some crazy or things. Or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. <laughs> or Facebook, yeah. A great book, bitch book, whatever that is. Um, yeah, it, and it's a necessary evil. Social media is that uh, two-edged sword that, you know, I don't know if I want to use it to slip my wrist 
or to celebrate because <laughs> there's some great things about it, but you've got to be really due diligent to get to the great things. Right. Yes. You're, so, you're shoveling a lot through a lot of garbage. Yeah, it's just it's a shovel show right now. <laughs> I've I've been doing really I I don't know about you, but I've been trying to limit like like try not to get on it first thing in the morning if at all I can help it. And um, Kelly Ann Callahan, I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She does the Wake Up to Level Up, um, and another really great person out there who does such positive messaging, Maxine Drake, with her Beauty Business Summit. I work with her every year. Um, they just put positive mass messages out 110% of the time. So I make sure that what I select in my feeds is always of the positive nature. And the minute I see something that's kind of negative, I just hide it. Do you ever do that? Yes. I've actually, you know, um, unfortunately for my audience, they don't know that I'm kind of a old school person. <laughs> um, yeah, so, they think you're all hip and cool. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they think, but, um, it's just that I, since 9-11, I have chosen to stop listening to bad news. and uh, Which means you listen to no news. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> I don't Because um, we, we don't really have television at, in the house. We only have um, the Internet. So we choose Hulu or Netflix. So we're choosing what we watch instead of it being just on, you know, being bombarded with all the bad stuff. Well, yeah, you don't even need it for local news anymore because... You know, you can put a weather app on your phone now, and I mean, yeah. it, it really is a different world we're living in. If you'd have told me that this was how it was going to be just from the early 2000s, the first, I remember the first internet that we had, and you know, we made all those squeaky weird noises because it was using the phone lines, and and um, I remember, you know, how ugly internet sites were, and I was thinking, oh, this is terrible, and then, um, you know, technology has evolved, and it's, it's kind of evolved I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of the social distance rule. I'm a person that needs to touch people and, and it's hard to, that's, you know, this is a, a joy because we're doing a zoom, even though this is going to be a, a podcast. Um, but at least I could see your beautiful face and see the environment you're in and see your beautiful smile. Right. Yeah. And it's very difficult when you're having to dis be distance in, in your learning from your educators. And as an educator, we we figure out what to educate you with by your feedback, just even in your demeanor. Because right. I can tell you plenty of times I saw girls zone out in my class. <laughs> I be I walk in sometimes and I go, oh, look how happy you guys are to see me. All your crotches are lighting up because I knew they were on their phones, right? <laughs> look at everybody's crotches glowing. They're so excited I'm here. This is awesome. <laughs> So they'd all look at me like, oh, great. So I've got to put the phone in phone jail while we get through the next 15 minutes. I promise it'll only be 15 minutes of torture. If <laughs> I try to, you know. Yeah. So, Melinda, um, where do people get to enjoy you? What oh. websites, what Instagram, what social media, where do they find you? Because I know that they are going to uh, be laughing by the time they finish listening to all this. Oh, I hope so. Um, well, you can find me on Facebook at Melinda, and then my middle name is Esty, E-S-T-Y, and the last name is McHenry. But here's the funny thing. My my name is Melinda, but it's with an A. So it's M-A Linda, Esty, and then M-C Henry. So kind of like an Irish rap star. And then on my Instagram, it's just Aesthetic Professor with an E. So it's um, at Aesthetic Professor. Um, and then on Twitter, I'm at Aesthetic with an A. That's annoying, I know. No, actually, I have a, an Aesthetic Professor on Twitter. So never mind. Just go to Aesthetic Professor on Twitter. And um, I don't really Snapchat. I find it annoying. Um, and it takes up so much of my battery. So sorry I'm not on Snapchat. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on what? <laughs> um, <laughs> I do have a YouTube channel also at Aesthetic Professor, um, under, under the YouTube channel and they can always find me. If they go to, um, the website, aestheticprofessor.com, a little page will come up and says, Oh, we're, we're almost ready for enrollment. Well, just enter your name and your information. And then I give you a link to log in. Um, so I haven't got it published, but I will let you in to play in my sandbox, if you will. Um, if you just send the information in and I get the notification for it and then I just reach out to you that way. Um, and then my training center, um, 
is has its own page on Facebook, and that's Academy of Advanced Aesthetic Arts, and it's all with A's. Now, I know that's really tacky to take my former business name, Academy of Aesthetic Arts, and then throw the word advanced in there, but why not capitalize on your successes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do get a lot of calls wanting, you know, what's your student rates? And I'm like, yeah, we're not open to the public. So we're just postgraduate hands-on training. Yeah. So now you had a little cautionary tale about learning on YouTube. Did you want to share that? (laughs) Yeah. You know, here's the thing about YouTube. YouTube can't certify you girls. So I want you to think about that. So what is certification and why that should be very, very, very important to you? What certification tells the public is, is that there's been someone, an expert in your field that has witnessed your success at putting your hands on someone and that there's somebody there to give you testament that you know what you're doing. When you get those certificates that are signed um, by your instructors um, and when you go to continuing education classes, you proudly display those because that shows your clientele that you are growing and evolving and that you're increasing your own net worth. You really are. Um, And you will be able to command more money because you're better educated than your counterparts. But YouTube can't do that. You can go, you can learn a lot on YouTube. You can learn a lot of the things that are wrong, but who's gonna be there to tell you it's wrong? So when it comes to the really important stuff in your industry while you're in school learning, um, sure, watch those things, but if you're in doubt, and even if you're not in doubt, you just, you're not sure uh, if it's right or wrong, get some feedback from your instructors. They're going to tell you, please don't do that. Um, but I've had students that, you know, they taught themselves something right online. And, and um, I actually, we actually had two girls just jump in. They thought they knew how to do a Brazilian wax. They'd learned it on their phones. And without hesitation, one of them slapped the hot wax on her backside. Classmate clenched up, couldn't open up, <laughs> couldn't get the wax off. No, right? I'm on the floor dying. They're not happy with me because I'm busy laughing. I'm like, are you just going to tell me that you just waxed her behind shut? Because if you did, I, I just, this is the happiest day of my life. <laughs> because you guys are exactly, can, we, this is the cautionary tale we've been telling you guys. Don't jump ahead of us. Wait for us to show you what, what to do so that you know how to do it correctly. But you know there's always that one learner that learns by doing. And and unfortunately, somebody gets hurt, <laughs> and it took hours to get that off without tearing that poor girl's skin up. But they both, uh, like, they know, because I watch people teach waxing on YouTube. They don't test it for heat. They aren't wearing gloves. They're not pulling it in the right direction. They're not prepping the skin right. Um, yeah, it's a Kelly Clarkson moment. <laughs> for many people on YouTube, I've seen... I've seen chemical peels go bad, microneedling that I'm like, oh, my goodness, she wasn't scarred before, but now she will be. Post-hyperinflammatory pigmentation is going to happen for some of these people. But I saw a guy teaching makeup online, and he stuck his thumb in his mouth, and he wiped off something by this woman's eye. Who does that? Someone who's not a licensed professional. That's who does that. They don't scrape, they don't sanitize, they don't clean, they don't lay their brushes out, they double dip, they, uh, it's just, when I watch YouTube sometimes I just want to cringe, I don't know about you. Yeah, and, and I shake my head and go, oh gosh, what I, what do I have to do to undo today (laughs) when I go into class? That's why I really think every school needs to have a giant poster up in their classrooms that says YouTube cannot certify you. Please do not approach and or do anything you have learned with YouTube until you've shown us the video. I mean, I don't think that they're they're all wrong because I'm on YouTube, so I have a hard time throwing stones, right? YouTube is a marvelous platform to get your message out. But I would never, I went to a Starbucks once. And this young girl was behind the counter and she goes, oh, my God, you're Melinda McHenry. Everything I learned about aesthetics, I learned from you. I said, where? She said on those training videos, and I was like, well, I don't want to think about what you didn't learn then, because I only had nine of them, (laughs) and while that's flattering, I'm frightened for you uh, in your field. If everything you learned about aesthetics, you learned on my nine videos, Um, so we really need to discuss you getting your license (laughs) at this point, (laughs) but 
I would never presume to tell anyone who's watching anything that I'm teaching you online that, you know, if you I always put a, precau- a precaution up there, you know, if you are currently licensed, you know, if you are not currently licensed and in school, please do not perform this at home. Right. Um, I think that needs to happen more on, on the YouTube education sites that they do need to preface that, you know, if you are, you know, I don't know what do we need to do about that, but there's just so many novice people out there teaching things that they've learned out of magazines or other YouTube channels. So it's out there. It's going to be out there, but don't use it to build your credibility right. or your skills. Go to glasses. So, Melinda, is there anything that we did not cover today that you would like to talk about, share, let people know? You know, there's there's two things that I feel that are really important in our industry, and I'll keep them. I'll try to keep them brief because I know this is going to need to get edited. It's been a long conversation for you, I'm sure. But I really feel like schools need to look at how we're teaching our our beauty students and that are getting into the field. And the first thing I think that needs to change is how we teach them um, to one, become an employee, to grow a career, and to two, business skills, so that they can appreciate an employer when they get out. There's a million and 10 things that they need to do in how they teach anyways, um, not get so hung up on the state board for one thing and, and, and really realize they have need to teach not just the basics, but they need to teach what's on trend. Whether they like it or not, um, they need to teach them what is considered entry level today. But having said that, students that are in school need to get really realistic expectations because I see the estheticians that are coming out into the field and the first thing they want to do is go booth rent. I'm sorry, you're 23 years old and you're going to drop 400 a week on rent, which you're paying about 80 bucks a square foot for, and you have no clientele, you have no one there to help you if something does go wrong, you only have six months to a year of education, and we need to get back to where we're we're in an employer-employee situation to help grow careers, and we need to just change how the whole beauty industry needs to change wasn't it shocking with covid how many people were in the national news um that were in the beauty industry barbers getting arrested hairdressers going to jail um all kinds of crazy things happening and estheticians and and nail technicians and everyone lamenting and crying that they didn't make the qualifications for unemployment at the federal or state level I mean, it's a huge, huge industry, and at self-employment, you know, there needs to be new business applications for the self-employed to teach them how to run their business as a real business so that they are protected when things like this happen and that they're prepared so that they're not walking out of their industry. I don't know what's going on in your world, but in in my world, uh, I've seen over 40 of my compatriots close their doors. I've seen girls walk out of one booth rental and walk into another one or just I'm seeing so much equipment for sale and books of businesses for sale. And I'm just sad by all of it. And I've seen states that are still locked down. We're so blessed to be in this industry. I mean, I've never been without a job. Have you? Well, I'm fairly new to this industry. I'm only like seven to ten years in. I had another career prior to this. So well, I guarantee you, you will never still be without, because we have these two things in front of us. By the way, I'm holding up my hands. Um, if you've got your hands and you can walk, <laughs> your mouth is still working. And don't worry about the eyes, because that's what mag lamps are for. That's what loops are for. But as I have never in my career since I was 19 years old and got my license been without the ability to support myself. And what a gift! What an in, what an amazing industry we 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 live in, yeah. and it's just been so fun watching it change and grow. And I know I look cryogenically preserved, but that's also the filter on Zoom, isn't it? Awesome! <laughs> you look fantastic. <laughs> the soft focus, <laughs> no wrinkles, because of Zoom. But um, yeah, it it's just been the greatest business uh, and industry to be in and 
I really want to see the industry as a whole come together and change the way the public perceives us because we are not, while we may have servants' hearts, we're not the help. And, and I think it could really come from, one, stop taking tips. Know your worth. Charge your worth. And, and if somebody leaves you a little something, great, thanks, wonderful, but stop expecting it. And don't live on tips. Live on what your worth is. Wow. Melinda commands the room. I'm not even sure that I actually interviewed her or asked any questions. So... I enjoyed this thoroughly. She is fantastic. And I hope that you check out her website at aestheticprofessor.com and learn more from Melinda. She has a lot to share and she has a passion for it. And I am so excited to be able to have interviewed her. I'm Cheryl Stroud, and you've been listening to the Stroud Skin Institute podcast. You can follow Stroud Skin Institute and Cheryl M. Stroud on Instagram, or visit us at stroudskinstitute.com on the web. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me soon for another Stroud Skin Institute conversation. Thank you for listening.